0: Welcome if you're joining us online. Um, I have a couple of announcements. Um, The first is for the men. Um, The curry night is on Tuesday week, Um, but they'd like to know who's going by Tuesday of this week. So if you could let Mark know as soon as possible. Um, If you don't like curry, there are non-curry alternatives. And if your friends who you hope to invite, don't like curry, you can tell them that and we'll get something different for them. Um, And then nearer to hand, you'll have seen the advert for the fireworks on Saturday. Um, Dan is uh, starting, uh, hoping to start building the bonfire at 10 o'clock. So as many people who are as able and willing to be involved in bonfire building, uh, Dan would love to see you. Now to our worship. Um, I was thinking about how do we, how does anyone cope with life in a world that's changing and with so many things going on? And it got me thinking how we have in God's Word something that the youngest of us can read, something that the most Intellectual of us will never fully understand in that we've got the Maker's instructions, the God who made us has given us instructions, but He's not just given us His instructions, He shared His heart with us in this book. So we've got something really reliable that if we know and understand gives us a rock where we can hold on to with whatever life throws at us. And that's the theme of our first song, which talks about God's Word being the foundation um, for our lives. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing. to us. Oh Lord we thank you that you speak to us through your word. We thank you that we have a God who wants us to know him. But we confess that so often our minds drift off, so often our hearts are hard, so often we don't look to you like we should. So as we come to your word now. We pray that you'll speak. We pray that you'll give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Amen. So our first Bible reading is in Exodus. It's in chapter 5 and that is on page 48 of the Church Bibles. Moses and Aaron have been to Pharaoh and perhaps if we'd been writing the story immediately there would be a wonderful answer. But we'll see that things don't quite work out how we'd have written the story. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice, and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foreman you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past let them go and gather straw for themselves but the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them you shall by no means reduce it for they are idle therefore they cry let us go and offer sacrifice to our God let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labour at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work! "'your daily task each day, as when there was straw.' "'And the foremen of the people of Israel, "'whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, "'were beaten, and were asked, "'Why have you not done all your task "'of making bricks today, and yesterday, "'as in the past?' "'Then the foreman of the people of Israel "'came and cried to Pharaoh, "'Why do you treat your servants like this? "'No straw is given to your servants.' Yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is your own your own people. But he said, You're idle. You are idle. That's why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you. But you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks your daily task each day they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Well, In a bit we're going to have a, a look at the chapter that follows, and this is what Mark's going to be teaching us from. But now, for the children, there's the children's talk. So if you'd like to come up front, and John's going to give back to us.
1: Is there any more coming up?
2: Excellent.
1: Well, just a quick one for, for the adults in here first. Is um, Our flyers are now in for, for Thrive, so we've got um, a stack full of them out in the, in the um, hall outside. So if any of you want to take a pile of them to hand out to the houses around about you, that would be much appreciated because I'm going to start flowering some houses around the area this week. Um, And if you do take a park, could you just let us know where you've um, stuck them in the letterbox at so that we don't put too many through the same one. So, just a reminder to you guys. All right, I want to talk to you guys about targets. Now, I hear a lot about targets at home, especially when it comes to school. The school always wanted targets for you to hit, aren't they? And sometimes it's really difficult to reach that target that they're setting for you, isn't it? You try, you try and sometimes the harder you try, the harder it is to reach that target because it puts so much pressure on you, doesn't it? And when you reach that target, then all of a sudden, you're set a different target to reach and that can become even more tricky. Now I like sport, do any of you here like sport? Some, some hands up. Well I really like sport and most of the sports that I like playing, you have to hit a target. So I've got the first one here, is golf. Any of you like golf? You like an excellent Harvey, maybe when you're a bit old you might like playing golf, but golf's a really tricky, tricky sport and um, the aim of it is in the end you need to hit a target which is this hole here and you need to get that ball in the hole. Now one thing that I would love to do, I'd love to get a hole in one where I hit the ball in one shot and it goes straight in the hole. But do you think I've done that yet? No, it's really tricky. Some people have got a hole in one but do you think once they've got a hole in one and they take the same shot again they get it in the hole again? I tried to look it up and I think there's only been one person recorded that's ever got two hole-in-ones back-to-back. It is really, really tricky. You get a hole-in-one and you try again, it's very tricky. What about this one here? Football. Who likes football? I like football. And the aim of football at the end of the day is to hit a target, isn't it? It's to hit the goal, to get the ball in the goal. Now, I had a very sad story about a target hitting a target in a goal once. I was playing for our school team at Beacon and we were in the semi-final of the Ouse Valley Cup and it went to a penalty shootout and I had the job of taking the last penalty to put us through and guess what happened? I didn't score, I missed it. I missed it and I was so gutted but fortunately they missed their next penalty, they missed the target on the next penalty and one of our players stepped up and scored the winning penalty but what made it even worse was when we was at Beacon we had this opportunity where we could do a school magazine and it just so happened that this week we were doing the school magazine and I was the sports editor in it so I had to write and do an article about me missing a penalty, missing the target and that, which wasn't very good was it and what about this, has anyone played this game curling? This is a really tricky game so you've got to put your curling stones and you've got to try and get them into the target, now we've played it a few times uh, especially Steph and how difficult is it to hit the target each time Steph very very tricky and not only if you do get it in the target sometimes, someone will throw a stone down and they will knock it out. So you think you've hit the target and then all of a sudden someone knocks your stone out the target. But it's a really, really good game. And the last one, this is something that we did yesterday and this is what got me thinking about hitting the target. Has anyone played shuffle here? Had a game of shuffle with any of the adults? A few of you? Yeah, at the back there we know you did. Well, on shuffleboard, there's lots of different targets you take. So there's a, a circle that's halfway up the board, and you throw these sort of like, they're like little curling stones down, and you've got to try and hit the target. And it is really, really tricky. Really, really tricky. And sometimes you might get it in the target, but then someone will come behind you afterwards, and they will throw their one, and it will knock your one out of the target. And it's really annoying, really, really annoying. And you'll throw another one down because you've got four goes. You might land it near the target again, then all of a sudden someone will throw one down and then knock it out again. And it is really, really tricky. Anyway, what I'm trying to say to you is all these things, these sports that you do or at school when you're trying to hit a target, sometimes you can't really do it over and over again. You might be able to do it once or twice, but ultimately it's really, really difficult. And you don't always hit the target. And sometimes, like with me, when I used to play football especially, if I couldn't hit the target when I played football, or I couldn't score, or something went wrong, I used to get really, really cross with myself, and it used to make me feel really down. Not just when I'd missed the target, but for like two, three, four days, even until the next time I played, it used to really, really get me down. And it used to play on my mind. And I'd think, I've got to hit the target next time. And then the harder I tried, sometimes the harder it got. But the Bible tells us that we're all trying to hit a target that we really can't hit and we really can't reach and it says here in the Bible it says here for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God the Bible tells us that each one of us is a sinner and have done things wrong and the target that we try to reach is perfection to be perfect in God's sight but not one of us in this building here whether we're young or whether we're old can hit that target can be made right Unfortunately, because the Bible tells us that we're all full of sin, no matter how hard we try, we might be the best person ever, but we won't be perfect enough for God to hit that target. We always fall short. But there's a wonderful verse here that says this. For our sake he made himself to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. And this person they're talking about here is Jesus. And can you see the link with the first one? It says here, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus had no sin in him at all. But it says in the previous verse here, it says, for all have sinned and fall short. So if we have sinned, we've fallen short. But it tells us that Jesus hasn't sinned. So what does that mean? That means he's hit the target, doesn't it? It means he is perfect and he's done exactly what God wants us to do. Now the amazing thing about this verse, I think, is that even when I became a Christian, I really struggle sometimes because I thought sometimes you've really got to really change everything about yourself to be as good as you can and you fail. You fail so often as you say the wrong things, you do the wrong things, you let yourself down and it can really play on your mind and it can be really, really hard. But one thing that really helped me as I grew older as a Christian and more mature that it doesn't matter how many times I fail, how many times I try to hit the target, it doesn't matter because Jesus has already done it for me. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to worry about missing the goal. I don't need to worry about missing the shuffleboard target. I don't need to worry about missing the hole in the, in the gulf because Jesus has hit the, terfe- the target for me. He's perfect in every single way. So when I've sinned, when I've done things wrong, when I've fallen short, I know that Jesus has taken that punishment for me on his shoulders because he was perfect in every single way and he's hit the target for me. So I just want you guys just to go away this morning and think I know sometimes school feels really tough sometimes doesn't it where you've got so many things that you've got to achieve and you've got to be hitting all these targets and it is really good to try your best even when you're at school or playing a game but the one thing that you do not have to worry about hitting the target with is with being perfect in Jesus' sight because if you put your trust in him and you really do with all your heart want to be right with him he's hit the target for you He's perfect in every single way and he can forgive you for your sins and I think that's a really, really good message, don't you? So maybe when you play games, when you've got to hit a target, you know, whether it's golf, you like, or football, whatever it might be, maybe you can think about that, thinking about, you know, I might not hit the target now when I'm playing this game but I'm so thankful that in my life if I put my trust in Jesus, he's hit the target, he's taken my sins away from me so I can be made perfect in his sight. Thank you. You can go back to your seats now.
0: the fact that as we come to Jesus, we have a saviour of our ruined life. So, when the music starts, let's stand and sing. carrying on with our Bible reading and we're going to be reading in Exodus chapter 6 so you'll remember from the end of Exodus chapter 5 uh, Moses has turned to God and said O Lord why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name he's done evil to this people And you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the people of Israel go out of his land But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. We're going to look forward to Mark teaching us from that part of God's word. But before, let's uh, turn to our God and let's pray. Oh Lord, we've just been reading about how you describe yourself as the great I am. The one who always has been. The one who always will be. The one who made everything is above everything. There is no power that even begins to register on the scale of your power. Oh Lord, we come to the God who knows everything. You know everything that we have done this week. You know everything we are thinking right now. Oh Lord, you know everything that's going on in the world. And yet, you call us to come to you as our Father in heaven. And we pray that you will help us to have the spirit of children coming to you. We we pray that you'll help us to open our mouths. We pray that you'll help us not to hide away from you. We pray that you'll help us to be honest with you as we come to you in prayer. Oh Lord, we do want people to know how great you are. And Lord, we thank you that you tell us so much about what you're doing, what you have done and what you will do in your word. We thank you that you show us your heart and we pray that you will help us to know more of your word, to be more keen to read it, to find you, to know you, to love you, to follow you, so that your kingdom is obvious that you are our king in every day and every moment of our lives. Oh Lord, we want to know you more. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to be motivated that those we love will know you more. And we pray that you'll help us to love our neighbours enough to tell them about you. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll give us confidence in you as our great God which means that we don't hide away but that we are your light bearers in this world. Oh Lord, this, this world is dark. This world is is sad, and and we do pray that you will bring peace, that you will stop the plans of wicked people. Oh Lord, we see that in the nations of the world as Russia continues to occupy Ukraine, as children are murdered by one side and children are bombed by another. Oh, we pray for peace. We pray especially for your people in those situations. Oh Lord, we ask that you will be especially close to them, that they will turn to you in their distress and that they will know and that their relationship with you as the rock will shine out to the people who are without you and without any hope in this world and we pray that on our our local levels that you will help us to cast all our cares on you, Lord you know that there are those in hospital There are those who are facing treatment for diseases. There are those who are troubled in their minds. And Lord, there are things that many of us don't know about in each other's lives. But you know, Lord, and you care. And we pray that you'll give healing to those who are sick give peace to those who are friends of those who are sick give peace to those who are troubled and Lord you know all the troubles that can run through our lives oh give us wisdom and help us to remember that like Abraham was just a visitor in the land he was in we're just a visitor here on earth and that if we're your children, one day we will be with you forever. Oh Lord, help us to grasp hold of that, we pray. And to know that that is the glorious truth. And Lord, we pray that you will help us and forgive us and keep us from being distracted by things that don't really matter by things that aren't really important, by things which don't show a love for you or a love for other people. Lord, they might not be bad things, but Lord, you know how we can so easily waste our lives. And Lord, as we've been hearing about missing the target, oh Lord, we pray that we will be more concerned about living in a way that pleases you. Oh Lord, I pray that you'll give us more passion to hate the fact that we miss your mark than we do about missing our sporting or our academic objectives. Oh Lord, we pray that knowing your smile, knowing you will be our goal, our passion. Oh Lord, do Put your spirit in our hearts more and more so that we love you more. And Lord, we we, we know that we will never be like Jesus, but we want to be. And we pray that we'll want to be more and more. And we pray that we will know the joy of being forgiven as we come to you, confessing the times we've missed, the times that we haven't even looked in the right direction. Oh Lord, you know and we're glad that you're full of mercy. And we're glad too that you supply all we need. Oh Lord, we do thank you for that. And we thank you that as we face this next week, we know you care for us and that you will give us all we need. And we pray, Lord, that you'll give us hearts that forgive. We pray that you'll give us protection from the enemy and the way he so easily leads us into blind alleys, leads us into things that we shouldn't be doing so that we can live to bring glory to you. Oh Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that you promised that it is powerful and effective, that it doesn't return to you empty. And Lord, we thank you that you've uh, given us Mark to teach us from your word. Lord, we pray that you will give him the words that you want him to speak and that you'll speak to our hearts today. Amen. So, we're going to sing again and after that Mark's going to come. So when the music
2: starts, let's stand and sing.
3: Last night, uh, New Zealand played South Africa in the Rugby World Cup final. It was a pretty epic match, a bit of a bruising battle, and uh, South Africa won by one point. I hope that's no spoilers for anyone. But uh, sport isn't always that close or that tense, is it? So in uh, in the 2003 Rugby World Cup, Australia played Namibia and beat them 142-0. In a qualifying match for the 2002 Football World Cup, Australia beat American Samoa 31 0. At the 1988 Tennis French Open, Steffi Graf beat Natasha Zvereva 6 love, 6 love in just 32 minutes. It's what we sometimes call a, 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 a whitewash, it's an easy victory. Sometimes some of these games almost feel like just a formality, don't they? Just almost turn up and win. It's, It's just victory, easy victory. And sometimes that's how we can feel the Christian life will be like or should be like. We kind of think, well, God is by far the most powerful being in the universe and he's promised us victory and he's promised us blessing. So that's all we should experience. But if you know God well enough, you'll know that's not the case. It's not what the Christian life is like at all. And in Exodus 5 and 6, we're going to see Moses learning that lesson as he gets to know God more. You may remember the story if you've been here on Sunday mornings. Some of you haven't. Um, So I'll briefly recap. Moses um, has gone from being the prince of Egypt, if you remember that, when he was uh, welcomed into Pharaoh's family, uh, the prince of Egypt, to a shepherd in the desert. And then in chapter 3, he meets God in the burning bush. And God sort of introduces himself as the great I Am. We saw that chapter as God shows Moses who he is. And God commissions Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh, to get Pharaoh to, to release the Israelites or the Hebrews, to release them out of slavery, the bondage that they're in. But you may remember that Moses wasn't the biggest fan of the idea. He didn't quite like this idea of going and speaking to Pharaoh. And if you were here last week, uh, we saw John speak on, on the, the title was Lord, please send someone else. Moses was full of excuses. He didn't want to go, so he comes up with all these excuses. And uh, after God shows him some powerful signs, and has quite a strong word with him, and agrees to send Aaron with him, Moses finally accepts the job to go and speak to Pharaoh. And firstly, uh, this morning, I want us to see obedience and optimism. Obedience and optimism. I've got some good alliteration this morning, so if that helps you remember it, then I'll be pleased. So we're in uh, Exodus 5 and 6, as I said, uh, but we are actually going to look just quickly at the end of chapter 4 as well, because I think that'll be helpful for us. So before... Uh, Moses and Aaron go and speak to Pharaoh, they've got to speak to the elders of the people of Israel. So I've got to explain to them what's going on first. And we saw back in chapter 3 that Moses has got some quite big reservations about this. He's got some big concerns about it. And one of the things I think it's helpful for us to remember is that Moses isn't the sort of the famous person yet in the story. He, he's not the hero leader that we all sort of know and love when we think of Moses. In fact, um, in the second half of chapter 6, which I thought I'd be kind and not get Tony to read, um, but in that that second half, there's a genealogy. And the reason it's there is, is to explain who Moses and Aaron are, to show that they are Israelites. They're actually Levites. But it's there to show that they haven't just wandered out of the desert, these are Israelites. People don't really know who he is yet. So Moses has concerns about how he's going to be received. When he goes and he says, look, I've got this message. Well, how how are the elders of the people going to receive me when I just turn up and say, I've got this message? But what happens? Well, he he goes and he gathers all the elders together and he tells them what God says. And then this is what it says in verse 31 of chapter 4. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction... They bowed their heads and worshipped. Well, it couldn't have gone much better for Moses. God is clearly at work. He was nervous about how they'd respond, and yet he goes to them, and they respond, they listen, and they worship God. And so kind of with an extra spring in his step, with a a fresh burst of optimism, Moses heads off to Pharaoh. God's going to do his work. 5 verse 1 Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. God's promised to let his people go. So Moses has a fair amount of confidence. But Pharaoh doesn't play ball. And the next thing we see is defiance and discouragement defiance and discouragement. Pharaoh replies, this is verse 2 of chapter 5, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. It's really important to understand here that when Pharaoh is saying, Who is the Lord? He's not just saying, Who is the Lord? Which, you know, he might have been a little bit, because he probably didn't know much about God. But he's also, he's asking a sort of rhetorical question, who who is the Lord to tell me what to do? We get it sometimes, don't we, where someone says, who are they to tell me what to do? We've probably all heard that. And this is kind of what Pharaoh's saying, who's the Lord to tell me what to do? You've got to remember, this is Pharaoh. You know, in in ancient Egypt, they were often seen pretty much as gods. They weren't used to being ordered around. They could do the ordering and no one could say. You know, they didn't have human rights and things back then. But like they could do whatever they wanted. And their word was effectively the word of a God to many people. So he's saying, who is this God? Trying to order me about. Moses tries again in verse three. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Pharaoh saying, don't you realise I've met God. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to work. What are you doing trying to offer them rest? It clearly riles Pharaoh up. Instead of giving them a break from work, Pharaoh makes things a lot worse for the Israelite slaves. The same day, Pharaoh commands the taskmasters to not let them have any straw. The straw in those days was a key component of bricks. But Moses says, Oh, and by the way, make sure they make the same number of bricks. I don't, I don't want the brick count going down. And then in verse 12, we see that uh, the people are scattered throughout all of Egypt looking for straw. You can imagine it if there have been slaves desperately trying to sort of make these bricks keep up with everything to suddenly have to, to spread itself all over Egypt just to get straw and be expected to make the same amount of bricks in incredibly harsh conditions. Well, I think we can only imagine really what, how brutal life must have been. Under the heat of the sun, very little protection from the sun. Uh, you know, they wouldn't have had regular breaks. You know wouldn't have had like, your lunch breaks from one till two. You know Very little breaks, very little water, suffering from malnutrition, Incredibly harsh treatment from the uh, taskmasters and the foremen. Long hours. This was brutal, what these slaves were going through. And it gets so bad that the foremen of the the Israelites cry out to Pharaoh and they say, why are you treating us like this? But Pharaoh's got his response ready. He's been thinking about this. It's because you've been idle, says, idle, If you've got enough time to be thinking about going off into the wilderness for a festival, clearly you haven't got enough work going on. You need to be doing more. You're lazy. Well, when Pharaoh says this, the foremen know they're in trouble, so they, they head out of there. And when they head out, they bump into Moses and Aaron. You can imagine it's a pretty frosty greeting as they bump into Moses and Aaron. This is what they say. Maybe it stuck out to you when Tony read it. The Lord look on you and judge. Because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. You see, the blame game begins here. They, they, lay the blame, uh, they, they place the blame firmly at Moses' feet. It's not exactly the deliverance you promised, is it, Moses? And did, did you notice what it said as well? The Lord judge you for what you've done. Well, the Lord's not going to be judging Moses because it was the Lord who told Moses to do it. Did you see how they they blame Moses? They they, they call down God's judgment on him. And just notice as well that Pharaoh seems to be getting away pretty lightly in all of this. They're not really blaming Pharaoh. It's Pharaoh that's got them in slavery. It's Pharaoh that's made it so much worse for them. And yet they're, they're blaming Moses, they've forgotten where the real blame lies. But then Moses, he picks up the blame and he he puts it on God. He hands it over. says, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Strong language, isn't it? God, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, And you've not delivered your people at all. Moses just can't get his head around it. What have you done, God? I I came with such high hopes. I was so optimistic. It's just gone worse. God, what have you done? What evil have you done? Just think, it's important, I think, just one of the reasons why Moses is so discouraged is, of course, he doesn't have Exodus in his Bible app that you can look up. He can't see the rest of the story. He hasn't got the remaining chapters that we do. And I think it's just something we need to remember. If we're feeling discouraged, you know, we we haven't got the rest of the chapters of our story. The rest of our chapters are what God's going to do. We don't know the end yet. God does. It's in His hands. He knows. It's just something to think about. So Moses and the people are deeply discouraged. They're they're in despair, really. But Moses shouldn't have been discouraged. Not really. Because God had warned him this would happen. So chapter 3, verse 19, God told him, look, the king of Egypt won't let the people go unless they are compelled by a strong hand. Otherwise, he won't let them go. Then in 4, verse 21, you will show him the miracles, but he will not let the people go. So, Moses had been told, but he had only remembered the good stuff. he had only remembered the, the rescue bit. he had missed a bit about rejection. And I think sometimes the reason why we can think that the, the Christian life will be easy is because we only listen to the good stuff. You know, the sort of God saving us from sin, God rescuing us, God being our father, God is love. Eternal life, all those things, don't get me wrong, they are wonderful things. But we can, we can hear that and we can miss the bit where Jesus says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Or we can miss the bit where Jesus says, look, the world will hate you because the world hated me first. Or we can miss Peter when he says, don't be surprised... If you go through suffering, it's not a strange thing for a Christian. Like that's, a, that's a normal thing for a Christian to go through. It's, it's what you should expect. Don't be surprised if you're tested by the refiner's fire. This is one of the things that Moses has to learn. That obedience does not necessarily lead to an easy life. In fact, often it means the exact opposite. Obeying God does not often lead to an easy life. It often means just the opposite. And I think it's helpful as well here to just say, you know, Moses is learning these things. We've got to remember, he's actually quite a young believer in the faith. No, he's not young, he's about 80. But he was young in his faith. Because we think of him, don't we? We think of this uh, this hero Moses uh, that knows God so well. You know, he knew God sort of face to face. So this is, this is right at the start of that. He, he doesn't really know God that well here. Remember, obviously, he grew up um, pretty much as an Egyptian in, in the courts of Pharaoh. And then he spends sort of 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness. And then in chapter 3, he meets God. So he, he doesn't know God that well. And the Israelites, they don't really know God that well either. It's been a long time, really, since they've had really good teaching. So discouragement and hardship come along. And what do they do? They complain and they give up. They complain to God, complain to Moses, and they give up. Well, maybe you've known discouragement in your life. This was pretty serious discouragement here. Maybe you feel like you've been through some really discouraging times. Maybe you're in one right now. It might be that you've heard the call of Jesus to follow him and you feel compelled to do that. But you shared it with a friend or, or someone in, in your class or your office. You just shared it. And the news spread like wildfire. And ever since you've been relentlessly mocked for your interest in being a Christian. You, think, you just feel incredibly discouraged and you think... That was the start of my hope, and it's just gone so bad already. Or maybe you're a Christian YP, and you've been baptised fairly recently. I'm not thinking of anyone, by the way, in particular. But things at the beginning felt so good, but now it just feels like every day is just a battle as you try to live for Jesus. And you just think, I remember you know, before I became a Christian, just I didn't have to think about what Jesus wanted me to do, and it was just so easy. Could just do what I wanted to do all the time. You think things just seem to go so much harder since I've become a Christian. Maybe that you've uh, been involved in some sort of outreach work and you're excited about this outreach work. And you know it's what God wants you to do because God says, go and make disciples of all nations. And so you pray about it, you're enthusiastic about it, you're excited about it. And yet, it, all, it almost seems like the more you pray, the less numbers there are, and the less enthusiastic people are about it. You just think, God, what are you doing? I'm obeying you, God. You've you, you said, go and make disciples, and yeah, it just seems to be failing. Or you're a young Christian and you're involved in a, a life changing accident. And you just think, God, what's going on? How, how can you do that to me? How can you possibly be good? We can become easily discouraged, can't we? Sometimes to the point of giving up. You know, it happens very often in the Christian life that God's plans don't quite match up with ours. And if we don't know God very well, what do we do? Well, we can be a bit like Moses sometimes, maybe a bit like the Israelites. We complain and we blame God. If you're a Christian here this morning, do you find it it's easy to be passionate about being a Christian when things are going how you want them to be? But when things go hard, when things don't quite happen how you want them to be, and God seems to be doing something different, do you find it really hard to live as a Christian? Hudson Taylor, many of you know of him. He was a missionary to uh, inland China in the 1800s. And uh, he he gave up a a comfortable life to go and serve Jesus in that country. And uh, he gets there, and fairly soon his wife dies, his children die, his close friends leave him. And and life is just a struggle in all sorts of ways, financially, and it's it's just a struggle for him. He knew the depths of discouragement. But this is what he says. He says, Difficulties afford a platform upon which he, God, can show himself. Without them, we could never know how tender, faithful and almighty our God is. I'll read that one more time. Difficulties afford a platform upon which he can show himself. Without them, we could never know how tender, faithful, and almighty our God is. In our know, Hudson Taylor understands something here that Moses is just about to in our passage. See, it's on the, the darkest backdrops that the, the beauty and the power of, of God is, is best seen. So, thirdly and lastly, revelation and recommissioning revelation and recommissioning so this is the start of chapter 6 but the lord said to moses now you shall see what i will do to pharaoh this is why i gave it that title now you shall see what i will do on that backdrop moses now you will see what i will do what i will do to pharaoh for with a strong hand he will send them out and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Now you're going to see what I will do. Did you notice what God will do? Well, with a strong hand, he will send the people of Israel out of the land. And when I hear about strong hand, I automatically think of God. I think of God's strong hand. But that's not who he's talking about here. He's talking about Pharaoh's hand. God's saying... Pharaoh will send them out with a strong hand. With a strong hand, Pharaoh will drive them out of the land. You see, this Pharaoh that had been so defiant, this Pharaoh that had been saying, I will not let them go, God's saying, not only is he going to let them go, he's going to drive them out himself. That's how God's going to display his power, by making Pharaoh drive them out himself. We're going to see God's power in a way that we never would if Pharaoh had just said, okay, off you go. And then from verses 2 to 8, this is in chapter 6, God gives Moses something that he needs. This is something that he needs more than anything else and something that is the only thing really that's going to really help with this level of discouragement. It's a revelation of himself. It's what we get at the start of of chapter 6. God gives Moses a revelation of himself. Verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Essentially what what God's saying here is, look, I I made myself known to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They, They sort of knew my name, but they didn't really know my name. They didn't really know what I'm capable of, who I am. I'm going to show you who I am in a way that I didn't show them. You're going to get to know me in a far deeper way than they knew me. Because of what I'm going to show you. Unlike Pharaoh, God says, I've listened to the people's cry. I've heard them. And I'm going to remember the promise that I made to them to give them a land. And all those other promises, the covenant with them. And God says, I want you to pass on these promises. Because God knows how powerful his promises are. And he says, I want you to pass on these promises to the people. i uh, just got a quick challenge for you. It's very easy. It's just counting. Uh, but if you open up your Bibles, if you haven't already, uh, to Exodus uh, chapter 6, and uh, particularly looking at verses 6 to 8. So if you haven't got your Bibles open, maybe now is a good opportunity to open them. So Exodus chapter 6. And verses 6 to 8. And what I want you to do is, is just count how many I wills are there in this. How many I wills are there? So Exodus 6 verses 6 to 8. How many I wills can you count? won't pick on anyone, but can anyone shout out and answer? Seven. Seven. Yeah, all agree. It's what I got this morning, so I'm relieved you said that, Roger. God gives these beautiful promises, these I will promises. And, you know, what, what's special about these is these are true for us too today. It's what's so amazing. So we're going to quickly look at them, and we're going to just quickly see how they're, they're true for us too. So verse 6, two together... I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. What's God saying? God's promising, I will set you free. I will set you free from your burdens, from your slavery, and I'm going to bring you out. I've said this before, but I'm promising it to you again. I will free you. You know, it's a beautiful promise to us too. God says to us, through Jesus, he will set us free from sin the slavery of sin, the the bondage of sin. Jesus is the one who can set us free. You may remember Jesus says, uh, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He is the truth. You know, we can find it so easy to get cosy with sin, to to kind of not not worry about it too much, to to treat it as our master. That's what the people of Israel were doing. They, They were calling Pharaoh their master. They were saying, we're your servants. We can so easily do that with sin. And then we can blame God when we face the consequences of that sin. Just like it was Pharaoh's fault and they blamed God, we can so often do that with with sin. You know, sin is a a brutal boss. And it keeps us as slaves. And and Jesus says, I can set you free. And I will set you free from sin. Next in verse 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with great acts of judgment. I will redeem you. But God does this for us too. He redeems us. He doesn't just purchase us. us. He takes it on himself to be the one who will care for us, who will protect us. In Exodus, God is going to claim his people. He's going to redeem them, and then he's going to care for them, he's going to protect them, and he's going to bring justice to those who have been harsh with his people. To those who have harmed his people, God will bring justice to them. For us, God redeems us by sending his son Jesus to redeem us, to be the great redeemer, to buy us with his own blood, and then to protect us, to fight for justice for us, to care for us. Moving into verse 7, I will take you to be my people. And then also, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. They were going to have a new master. It wouldn't be Pharaoh anymore. It'd be the Lord. He would be their personal God. God says, I will take you and I will make you mine. God isn't just going to free his people, he's going to welcome them into his family. He's going to adopt them. And again, as many of us know, that's what God does with us. He, through Jesus, he adopts us so that we can cry our Abba, Father. So God doesn't just free us from sin, but he becomes ours. He becomes our Father. And God says, and you become mine.
2: And
3: then in verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you uh, for a possession. I am the Lord. God is going to give them an inheritance that he's promised. The promised land. That's why we call it that. they have been slaves. In many ways they have been foreigners in Egypt. Imagine the prospect of being free in their own land. I don't think we can appreciate it because We've been free in our own land. But, but try and imagine it for them. Slaves. And God says, I'm going to give you your own land and you're going to be free. And we find out later it's going to be a land that flows with milk and honey. And if we're, we're Christians, we're not heading for the same promised land that they were, but God has promised a land for us. The new heavens and the new earth. That he's promised, is there for us. It's imperishable. It's incorruptible. That's what we've got to look forward to. John, uh, John Piper writes something about uh, what John Newton said. He said this. He said, imagine that there was a man who inherited this large estate in New York, worth millions of pounds. And uh, he's in his carriage on the way to New York. And uh, his carriage breaks down leaving him to walk the last mile. Now, can you imagine that last man standing there at the carriage for ages, just kicking this carriage in disgust and, and disappointment and just saying, oh, my carriage, my carriage. Of course he doesn't. He's only a mile away. He leaves his carriage and he walks. He's got an inheritance. John Newton says, Christian, we only have a few miles to go. Instead of focusing on the discouragements, the disappointments, We have that promise of the inheritance that is there for us and we only have a few miles to go. So what do we do when we feel discouraged? What do we do when disappointment slaps us around the face? What do we do when we're we're trying to obey God but things just get harder instead of easier and we think, what is going on? We need to look again at the revelation of God. We need to see who God is what God has done and what God is going to do. We, we need to meditate regularly on the good news of the gospel. How do we do that? Well, there's different ways. It may be by reading, reading the Bible, reading other books, devotional books maybe, that remind us of the goodness of the Bible. can be by singing, whether that be in church or whether that be listening in your headphones or whatever it is. You know, singing is a great way to, to remind us of the good news of the gospel, to lift our spirits sometimes. Maybe just like thinking out on a walk, it doesn't have to be out on a walk, it can be anywhere, but just thinking, just meditating, just, just looking forward to heaven, remembering his promises, just, just mull over them. Maybe some of those promises would be a really good thing to think about this week. So there's seven there, maybe what about one a day? Listening to something. So maybe a podcast or maybe a, a message. Listening to something that, that makes you thankful for the gospel again. Or what about just chatting with friends about the goodness of God? I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in a, in a message on friendship about someone who was just like, I just need to hear the gospel. There was nothing new that was shared, but it did them both good just chatting about it. And I don't know about you, but some of the highlights in my life are when you've had those really good chats with friends where you've just both encouraged each other in the Gospel. It's one of the best chats. You know, that's the answer to our greatest discouragements, to our darkest moments. Remember the Gospel, remember who God is, remember what God's promised us. That's what Moses needed more than anything else at this time. And having revealed himself to Moses, God resends him back to Pharaoh. He says, I want you to go back. Predictably, Moses isn't that keen once again. Why would they listen to me? Because even the Israelites don't listen at this point. Because they're so so discouraged, they they can't take anything in. That's why we need to encourage each other. Because actually, when when we're discouraged, sometimes we, we find it hard to take in the good news what they found so moses doesn't really want to go but moses says i've shown you who uh, god says sorry to moses i've shown you who i am i want you to go and i want you to share those promises with the people and i want you to speak to pharaoh again and we're going to see what happens next time in chapter seven well let's pray and then we'll sing together Lord, God, we thank you for your words. Lord, we thank you that it's so real. Lord, that it keeps in all the the bits that maybe we wouldn't. Lord, it deals with very real emotions and struggles. But Lord, it also reveals you. And Lord, we have seen this morning, Lord, you in your, your glory, who you are and your promises. And Lord, we we thank you that as we go through the book of Exodus, Lord, that question of who are you will be amazingly answered as you demonstrate again and again who you are. And Lord, we thank you for the promises that you've given and for the fact that they are still true for believers today. Lord, I pray for anyone here who does not know you, Lord, that they would follow you, that they too may be forgiven, set free from sin, They may be adopted into your family and they may have that inheritance to look forward to. Lord, for those of us who are Christians, Lord, I pray that we would preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And that your name would be glorified in all of this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing our last song now. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence? Let our souls to him belong. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing together. have ears to hear what you've got to say to us. Lord, I pray that as we go home, as uh, we get into the the everyday uh, life, Lord, that these things will not be forgotten. Lord, I pray that each day we would preach the gospel to ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.